Part two, chapter nine of the idiot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. The idiot by Fyodor Dostoevsky, translated by Eva M. Martin. Part two, chapter nine. You will not deny, I am sure, said Gavrila Ardalionovitch turning to burdovsky who sat looking at him with wide-open eyes perplexed and astonished you will not deny seriously that you were born just two years after your mother's legal marriage to mr burdovsky your father nothing would be easier than to prove the date of your birth from well-known facts we can only look on mr keller's version as a work of imagination and one moreover extremely offensive both to you and your mother of course he distorted the truth in order to strengthen your claim and to serve your interests mr keller said that he previously consulted you about this article in the paper but did not read it to you as a whole certainly he could not have read that passage as a matter of fact i did not read it interrupted the boxer but its contents had been given me on unimpeachable authority, and I—' "'Excuse me, Mr. Keller,' interposed Gavrila Ardalionovitch. "'Allow me to speak. I assure you your article shall be mentioned in its proper place, and then you can explain everything, but for the moment I would rather not anticipate.' quite accidentally with the help of my sister varvara ardalionovna ptitsin i obtained from one of her intimate friends madame zhubkov a letter written to her twenty-five years ago by nikolai andreevich pavlicheff then abroad after getting into communication with this lady i went by her advice to timofey fyodorovitch vyazovkin a retired colonel and one of pavlicheff's oldest friends he gave me two more letters written by the latter when he was still in foreign parts these three documents their dates and the facts mentioned in them prove in the most undeniable manner that eighteen months before your birth nikolai andreevich went abroad where he remained for three consecutive years your mother as you are well aware has never been out of russia it is too late to read the letters now i am content to state the fact but if you desire it come to me to-morrow morning bring witnesses and writing experts with you and i will prove the absolute truth of my story from that moment the question will be decided these words caused a sensation among the listeners and there was a general movement of relief. Burdovsky got up abruptly. "'If that is true,' said he, "'I have been deceived, grossly deceived, but not by Chabarov. And for a long time past, a long time. I do not wish for experts, not I, nor to go to see you. I believe you, I give it up. But I refuse the ten thousand roubles. Good-bye.' wait five minutes more mr burdovsky said gavrila ardalionovitch pleasantly 
i have more to say some rather curious and important facts have come to light and it is absolutely necessary in my opinion that you should hear them you will not regret i fancy to have the whole matter thoroughly cleared up burdovsky silently resumed his seat and bent his head as though in profound thought his friend lebedeff's nephew who had risen to accompany him also sat down again he seemed much disappointed though as self-confident as ever hippolyte looked dejected and sulky as well as surprised he had just been attacked by a violent fit of coughing so that his handkerchief was stained with blood the boxer looked thoroughly frightened oh antipe cried he in a miserable voice i did say to you the other day the day before yesterday that perhaps you were not really pavlicheff's son there were sounds of half smothered laughter at this now that is a valuable piece of information mr keller replied gania however that may be i have private information which convinces me that mr burdovsky though doubtless aware of the date of his birth knew nothing at all about pavlicheff's sojourn abroad indeed he passed the greater part of his life out of russia returning at intervals for short visits the journey in question is in itself too unimportant for his friends to recollect it after more than twenty years and of course mr burdovsky could have known nothing about it for he was not born as the event has proved it was not impossible to find evidence of his absence though i must confess that chance has helped me in a quest which might very well have come to nothing it was really almost impossible for burdovsky or trebaroff to discover these facts even if it had entered their heads to try naturally they never dreamt here the voice of hippolyte suddenly intervened allow me mr ivolgin he said irritably what is the good of all this rigmarole pardon me all is now clear and we acknowledge the truth of your main point why go into these tedious details you wish perhaps to boast of the cleverness of your investigation to cry up your talents as detective or perhaps your intention is to excuse burdovsky by proving that he took up the matter in ignorance well i consider that extremely impudent on your part you ought to know that burdovsky has no need of being excused or justified by you or anyone else it is an insult the affair is quite painful enough for him without that will nothing make you understand enough enough mr terentieff interrupted gania don't excite yourself you seem very ill and i am sorry for that i am almost done but there are a few facts to which i must briefly refer as i am convinced that they ought to be clearly explained once for all a movement of impatience was noticed in his audience as he resumed i merely wish to state for the information of all concerned that the reason for mr pavlicheff's interest in your mother mr burdovsky was simply that she was the sister of a serf girl with whom he was deeply in love in his youth 
and whom most certainly he would have married but for her sudden death i have proofs that this circumstance is almost if not quite forgotten i may add that when your mother was about ten years old pavlicheff took her under his care gave her a good education and later a considerable dowry his relations were alarmed and feared he might go so far as to marry her but she gave her hand to a young land surveyor named burdovsky when she reached the age of twenty i can even say definitely that it was a marriage of affection after his wedding your father gave up his occupation as land surveyor and with his wife's dowry of fifteen thousand roubles went in for commercial speculations as he had had no experience he was cheated on all sides and took to drink in order to forget his troubles he shortened his life by his excesses and eight years after his marriage he died your mother says herself that she was left in the direst poverty and would have died of starvation had it not been for pavlicheff who generously allowed her a yearly pension of six hundred roubles many people recall his extreme fondness for you as a little boy your mother confirms this and agrees with others in thinking that he loved you the more because you were a sickly child stammering in your speech and almost deformed for it is known that all his life nikolai andreevich had a partiality for unfortunates of every kind especially children in my opinion this is most important i may add that i discovered yet another fact the last on which i employed my detective powers seeing how fond pavlicheff was of you it was thanks to him you went to school and also had the advantage of special teachers his relations and servants grew to believe that you were his son and that your father had been betrayed by his wife i may point out that this idea was only accredited generally during the last years of pavlicheff's life when his next of kin were trembling about the succession when the earlier story was quite forgotten and when all opportunity for discovering the truth had seemingly passed away no doubt you mr burdovsky heard this conjecture and did not hesitate to accept it as true i have had the honour of making your mother's acquaintance and i find that she knows all about these reports what she does not know is that you her son should have listened to them so complacently i found your respected mother at pskoff ill and in deep poverty as she has been ever since the death of your benefactor she told me with tears of gratitude how you had supported her she expects much of you and believes fervently in your future success oh this is unbearable said lebedeff's nephew impatiently what is the good of all this romancing it is revolting and unseemly cried hippolyte jumping up in a fury burdovsky alone sat silent and motionless what is the good of it repeated gavrila ardalionovitch with pretended surprise well 
firstly because now perhaps mr burdovsky is quite convinced that mr pavlicheff's love for him came simply from generosity of soul and not from paternal duty it was most necessary to impress this fact upon his mind considering that he approved of the article written by mr keller i speak thus because i look on you mr burdovsky as an honourable man secondly it appears that there was no intention of cheating in this case even on the part of chebarov i wish to say this quite plainly because the prince hinted a while ago that i too thought it an attempt at robbery and extortion on the contrary everyone has been quite sincere in the matter and although chebarov may be somewhat of a rogue in this business he has acted simply as any sharp lawyer would do under the circumstances he looked at it as a case that might bring him in a lot of money and he did not calculate badly because on the one hand he speculated on the generosity of the prince and his gratitude to the late mr pavlicheff and on the other to his chivalrous ideas as to the obligations of honour and conscience as to mr burdovsky allowing for his principles we may acknowledge that he engaged in the business with very little personal aim in view at the instigation of chebarov and his other friends he decided to make the attempt in the service of truth progress and humanity in short the conclusion may be drawn that in spite of all appearances mr burdovsky is a man of irreproachable character and thus the prince can all the more readily offer him his friendship and the assistance of which he spoke just now hush hush gavrila ardalionovitch cried muishkin in dismay but it was too late i said and i have repeated it over and over again shouted burdovsky furiously that i did not want the money i will not take it what i will not i am going away he was rushing hurriedly from the terrace when lebedeff's nephew seized his arms and said something to him in a low voice burdovsky turned quickly and drawing an addressed but unsealed envelope from his pocket he threw it down on a little table beside the prince there's the money how dare you there's the money those are the two hundred and fifty roubles you dared to send him as a charity by the hands of chebarov explained doktorenko the article in the newspaper put it at fifty cried kolya i beg your pardon said the prince going up to burdovsky i have done you a great wrong but i did not send you that money as a charity believe me and now i am again to blame i offended you just now the prince was much distressed he seemed worn out with fatigue and spoke almost incoherently i spoke of swindling but i did not apply that to you i was deceived i said you were afflicted like me but you are not like me you give lessons you support your mother i said you had dishonoured your mother but you love her she says so herself i did not know 
Gavrila Ardalionovitch did not tell me that... Forgive me. I dared to offer you ten thousand roubles, but I was wrong. I ought to have done it differently. And now there is no way of doing it, for you despise me. I declare this is a lunatic asylum, cried Lizaveta Prokofievna. Of course it is a lunatic asylum, repeated Aglaya sharply, but her words were overpowered by other voices. Everybody was talking loudly, making remarks and comments. Some discussed the affair gravely, others laughed. Ivan Fyodorovitch Yapanchin was extremely indignant. He stood waiting for his wife with an air of offended dignity. Lebedev's nephew took up the word again. "'Well, Prince, to do you justice, you certainly know how to make the most of your, let us call it, infirmity, for the sake of politeness. You have set about offering your money and friendship in such a way that no self-respecting man could possibly accept them. This is an excess of ingenuousness or of malice. You ought to know better than any one which word best fits the case. Allow me, gentlemen, said Gavrila Ardalionovitch, who had just examined the contents of the envelope. There are only a hundred roubles here, not two hundred and fifty. I point this out, prince, to prevent misunderstanding. Never mind, never mind, said the prince, signing to him to keep quiet. But we do mind, said Lebedev's nephew vehemently. Prince, your never mind is an insult to us. We have nothing to hide. Our actions can bear daylight. It is true that there are only a hundred roubles instead of two hundred and fifty, but it is all the same. Why, no, it is hardly the same, remarked Gavrila Ardalionovitch with an air of ingenuous surprise. Don't interrupt. We are not such fools as you think, Mr. Lawyer cried Lebedev's nephew angrily. Of course there is a difference between a hundred roubles and two hundred and fifty, but in this case the principle is the main point, and that a hundred and fifty roubles are missing is only a side issue. The point to be emphasised is that Burdovsky will not accept your highness's charity. He flings it back in your face, and it scarcely matters if there are a hundred roubles or two hundred and fifty. Burdovsky has refused ten thousand roubles. You heard him. He would not have returned even a hundred roubles if he was dishonest. The hundred and fifty roubles were paid to Chebarov for his travelling expenses. You may jeer at our stupidity and at our inexperience in business matters. You have done all you could already to make us look ridiculous, but do not dare to call us dishonest. The four of us will club together every day to repay the hundred and fifty roubles to the prince, if we have to pay it in instalments of a rouble at a time, but we will repay it with interest. Burdovsky is poor. He has no millions. After his journey to see the prince, Chebarov sent in his bill. We counted on winning. Who would not have done the same in such a case? Who, indeed, exclaimed Prince S. 
i shall certainly go mad if i stay here cried lizaveta prokofievna it reminds me said Yevgeny pavlovitch laughing of the famous plea of a certain lawyer who lately defended a man for murdering six people in order to rob them he excused his client on the score of poverty it is quite natural he said in conclusion considering the state of misery he was in that he should have thought of murdering these six people which of you gentlemen would not have done the same in his place enough cried lizaveta prokofievna abruptly trembling with anger we have had enough of this balderdash in a state of terrible excitement she threw back her head with flaming eyes casting looks of contempt and defiance upon the whole company in which she could no longer distinguish friend from foe she had restrained herself so long that she felt forced to vent her rage on somebody those who knew lizaveta prokofievna saw at once how it was with her she flies into these rages sometimes said ivan fyodorovitch to prince s the next day but she is not often so violent as she was yesterday it does not happen more than once in three years be quiet ivan fyodorovitch leave me alone cried mrs epanchin why do you offer me your arm now you had not sense enough to take me away before you are my husband you are a father it was your duty to drag me away by force if in my folly i refused to obey you and go quietly you might at least have thought of your daughters we can find our way out now without your help here is shame enough for a year wait a moment till i thank the prince thank you prince for the entertainment you have given us it was most amusing to hear these young men it is vile vile a chaos a scandal worse than a nightmare is it possible that there can be many such people on earth be quiet aglaya be quiet alexandra it is none of your business don't fuss round me like that evgeny pavlovitch you exasperate me so my dear she cried addressing the prince you go so far as to beg their pardon he says forgive me for offering you a fortune and you you mountebank what are you laughing at she cried turning suddenly on lebedeff's nephew we refuse ten thousand roubles we do not beseech we demand as if he did not know that this idiot will call on them to-morrow to renew his offers of money and friendship you will won't you you will come will you or won't you i shall said the prince with gentle humility you hear him you count upon it too she continued turning upon doktorenko you are as sure of him now as if you had the money in your pocket and there you are playing the swaggerer to throw dust in our eyes no my dear sir you may take other people in i can see through all your airs and graces i see your game lizaveta prokofievna exclaimed the prince come lizaveta prokofievna it is time for us to be going we'll take the prince with us 
said prince s with a smile in the coolest possible way the girls stood apart almost frightened their father was positively horrified mrs epanchin's language astonished everybody some who stood a little way off smiled furtively and talked in whispers lebedeff wore an expression of utmost ecstasy chaos and scandal are to be found everywhere madame remarked doktorenko who was considerably put out of countenance not like this nothing like the spectacle you have just given us sir answered lizaveta prokofievna with a sort of hysterical rage leave me alone will you she cried violently to those around her who were trying to keep her quiet no evgeny pavlovitch if as you said yourself just now a lawyer said in open court that he found it quite natural that a man should murder six people because he was in misery the world must be coming to an end i had not heard of it before now i understand everything and this stutterer won't he turn out a murderer she cried pointing to burdovsky who was staring at her with stupefaction i bet he will he will have none of your money possibly he will refuse it because his conscience will not allow him to accept it but he will go murdering you by night and walking off with your cash-box with a clear conscience he does not call it a dishonest action but the impulse of a noble despair a negation or the devil knows what bah! everything is upside down everyone walks head downwards a young girl brought up at home suddenly jumps into a cab in the middle of the street saying good-bye mother i married karlich or ivanitch the other day and you think it quite right you call such conduct estimable and natural the woman question look here she continued pointing to colia the other day that whippersnapper told me that this was the whole meaning of the woman question but even supposing that your mother is a fool you are none the less bound to treat her with humanity why did you come here to-night so insolently give us our rights but don't dare to speak in our presence show us every mark of deepest respect while we treat you like the scum of the earth the miscreants have written a tissue of calumny in their article and these are the men who seek for truth and do battle for the right we do not beseech we demand you will get no thanks from us because you will be acting to satisfy your own conscience what morality but good heavens if you declare that the prince's generosity will excite no gratitude in you he might answer that he is not bound to be grateful to pavlicheff who was only satisfying his own conscience but you counted on the prince's gratitude towards pavlicheff you never lent him any money he owes you nothing then what were you counting upon if not on his gratitude and if you appeal to that sentiment in others why should you expect to be exempted from it they are mad they say society is savage and inhuman because it despises a young girl who has been seduced but if you call society inhuman 
you imply that the young girl is made to suffer by its censure how then can you hold her up to the scorn of society in the newspapers without realizing that you are making her suffering still greater madmen vain fools they don't believe in god they don't believe in christ but you are so eaten up by pride and vanity that you will end by devouring each other that is my prophecy is not this absurd is it not monstrous chaos and after all this that shameless creature will go and beg their pardon are there many people like you what are you smiling at because i am not ashamed to disgrace myself before you yes i am disgraced it can't be helped now but don't you jeer at me you scum this was aimed at hippolyte he is almost at his last gasp yet he corrupts others you have got hold of this lad she pointed to colia you have turned his head you have taught him to be an atheist you don't believe in god and you are not too old to be whipped sir a plague upon you and so prince lyof nikolaevitch you will call on them to-morrow will you she asked the prince breathlessly for the second time yes then i will never speak to you again she made a sudden movement to go and then turned quickly back and you will call on that atheist she continued pointing to hippolyte how dare you grin at me like that she shouted furiously rushing at the invalid whose mocking smile drove her to distraction exclamations arose on all sides lizaveta prokofievna lizaveta prokofievna lizaveta prokofievna mother this is disgraceful cried aglaya mrs epanchin had approached hippolyte and seized him firmly by the arm while her eyes blazing with fury were fixed upon his face do not distress yourself aglaya ivanovitch he answered calmly your mother knows that one cannot strike a dying man i am ready to explain why i was laughing i shall be delighted if you will let <coughs> let me <coughs> a violent fit of coughing which lasted a full minute prevented him from finishing his sentence he is dying yet he will not stop holding forth cried lizaveta prokofievna she loosed her hold on his arm almost terrified as she saw him wiping the blood from his lips why do you talk you ought to go home to bed so i will he whispered hoarsely as soon as i get home i will go to bed at once and i know i shall be dead in a fortnight bodkin told me himself last week that is why i should like to say a few farewell words if you will let me but you must be mad it is ridiculous you should take care of yourself what is the use of holding a conversation now go home to bed do cried mrs epanchin in horror when i do go to bed i shall never get up again said hippolyte with a smile i meant to take to my bed yesterday and stay there till i died but as my legs can still carry me i put it off for two days so as to come here with them to-day but i am very tired 
Oh, sit down, sit down, why are you standing? Lizaveta Prokofievna placed a chair for him with her own hands. Thank you, he said gently. Sit opposite to me and let us talk. We must have a talk now, Lizaveta Prokofievna. I am very anxious for it. He smiled at her once more. Remember that today, for the last time, I am out in the air, and in the company of my fellow men, and that in a fortnight I shall certainly be no longer in this world. So in a way, this is my farewell to nature and to men. I am not very sentimental, but do you know I am quite glad that all this has happened at Pavlovsk, where at least one can see a green tree. But why talk now? replied Lizaveta Prokofievna, more and more alarmed. You are quite feverish. Just now you would not stop shouting, and now you can hardly breathe. You are gasping. I shall have time to rest. Why will you not grant my last wish? Do you know, Lizaveta Prokofievna, that I have dreamed of meeting you for a long while? I had often heard of you from Kolya. He is almost the only person who still comes to see me. You are an original and eccentric woman. I have seen that for myself. Do you know I have even been rather fond of you? Good heavens! And I very nearly struck him. You were prevented by Aglaya Ivanovna. I think I am not mistaken. That is your daughter, Aglaya Ivanovna. She is so beautiful that I recognized her directly, although I had never seen her before. Let me at least look on beauty for the last time in my life, he said with a wry smile. You are here with the prince and your husband and a large company. Why should you refuse to gratify my last wish? Give me a chair, cried Lizaveta Prokofievna but she seized one for herself, and sat down opposite to Hippolyte. "'Kolya, you must go home with him,' she commanded, "'and to-morrow I will come myself. Will you let me ask the prince for a cup of tea? I am exhausted. Do you know what you might do, Lizaveta Prokofievna? I think you wanted to take the prince home with you for tea. Stay here, and let us spend the evening together.' I am sure the prince will give us all some tea. Forgive me for being so free and easy, but I know you are kind, and the prince is kind too. In fact, we are all good-natured people. It is really quite comical." The prince bestirred himself to give orders. Lebedeff hurried out, followed by Vera. "'It is quite true,' said Mrs. Yepanchin decisively talk but not too loud and don't excite yourself you have made me very sorry for you prince you don't deserve that i should stay and have tea with you yet i will all the same but i won't apologize i apologize to nobody nobody it is absurd however forgive me prince if i blew you up that is if you like of course but please don't let me keep anyone she said suddenly to her husband and daughters, in a tone of resentment, as though they had grievously offended her. 
I can come home alone quite well. But they did not let her finish, and gathered round her eagerly. The prince immediately invited everyone to stay for tea, and apologised for not having thought of it before. The general murmured a few polite words, and asked Lizaveta Prokofievna if she did not feel cold on the terrace. He very nearly asked Hippolyte how long he had been at the university, but stopped himself in time. Yevgeny Pavlovitch and Prince S. suddenly grew extremely gay and amiable. Adelaida and Alexandra had not recovered from their surprise, but it was now mingled with satisfaction. In short, everyone seemed very much relieved that Lizaveta Prokofievna had got over her paroxysm. Aglaya alone still frowned and sat apart in silence. All the other guests stayed on as well. No one wanted to go, not even General Ivolgin. But Lebedev said something to him in passing, which did not seem to please him, for he immediately went and sulked in a corner. The prince took care to offer tea to Burdovsky and his friends, as well as the rest. The invitation made them rather uncomfortable. They muttered that they would wait for Hippolyte, and went and sat by themselves in a distant corner of the veranda. Tea was served at once. Lebedev had no doubt ordered it for himself and his family before the others arrived. It was striking eleven. End of Part 2 Chapter 9 Recording by Martin Geeson in Hazelmere, Surrey.